Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. It is officially, uh, it is officially now no longer Halloween season. It's still autumn. We're moving Ew. on. Yeah, we're moving on to uh, November. Uh, of course, we're joined with the one and only super producer, Max Williams. They call me Ben, usually. No, this is the second part of our two-part series on a Thanksgiving story that I think neither of us knew about before we started looking into it. No, no, it definitely makes sense. Like, cause I mean, within this very country as, as pretty, pretty much still the case today, there's a bit of a cultural divide at times over certain things and some things become associated with certain regions that maybe other regions of the country and <clears throat> the South uh, do not um, abide by or do not appreciate. And that was definitely a thing. We were leading up to the literal civil war, the war, pitting brother against brother and fighting for this idea of whether it was okay to own another human being. Um, and we, in our last episode, kind of got to the lead up to this uh, this incredible conflict um, that took place on American soil. But the rhetoric was already starting to heat up and Thanksgiving was becoming a big talking point. This idea of like, oh, Thanksgiving is a Yankee, you know, um, abolitionist uh, holiday and it shouldn't be required because it was becoming a thing that individual states were starting to pass a day that would be set aside for a Thanksgiving type celebration. And it was becoming this kind of bone of contention, right? Yeah, exactly. On the other side of the conflict, we have Sarah Hale, who was waging a, a sort of... Uh, one woman mission to make 
everybody get on the same page about celebrating Thanksgiving. But because Thanksgiving was championed by people who were also abolitionists, the Southerners, some Southerners automatically hated it. There was a palpable tension in the room of the country. And that's where part two picks up because Hale doesn't continue to fight for Thanksgiving on a massive scale when the Civil War hits despite the fact that she puts that on pause. A lot of things went on pause during the war. Uh, people sure. are still having smaller Thanksgivings of their own, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, Hale definitely knew how to read the room, as did uh, President Abraham Lincoln himself, who seemed to be inching towards creating a national proclamation that would set Thanksgiving as a national holiday instead of leaving it up to the states. And even though Lincoln himself did have an unofficial Thanksgiving meal with his family just after being elected president, featuring roast turkey and all of those, you know, famous sides that we talked about, uh, really revolving around this notion of good health and prosperity for the family, despite his enjoyment of those fixings, he, he could read the room and knew what a divisive subject this was and decided he would, you know, put a pin in it. So yeah. when the Civil War did break out in earnest on April 12th of 1861, and those plans for a national uh, Thanksgiving holiday took a back seat um, to the violence between the North and South, Sarah Josepha Hale didn't really stop. I want to jump in here because to clarify, she was still, she was still on her mission but people yes. weren't paying attention and she didn't That's have right. as much support, even though she was, you know, even though she was still the editorial head of that very popular magazine. What was, what was the name right. of that magazine? It was a really banal kind of name. It was something like Ladies Journal, something yep. Ladies Journal, if I'm not mistaken. Cody's Ladies Book. That's it. Cody's Ladies Book. They could have done a better job. But, you know, she was still on her bullshit. You know, on her Thanksgiving, uh, on her Thanksgiving, you know, crusade, which was all about kind of creating this idyllic image of Thanksgiving, you know, as a cultural thing that and also showing that it wasn't necessarily something tied to, you know, either the North or the South or any particular type of religious ideology, which I think is funny because um, that became a bone of contention for some folks too. the idea that it was a religious holiday, which it really never has been in my eyes, aside from, you know, a few hymns that might have a little bit of a religious connotation. So uh, flash forward a little bit to 1862, uh, the president of the Confederacy, Mr. Jefferson Davis, did issue Thanksgiving Day proclamations after some Southern victories, which is interesting. Yeah. Starting to co-opt it a little bit. Right. Now we've got two competing days of thanks for ideas about how they should be handled because Lincoln officially calls for Day of Thanks in April of the same year after some Union victories. And then he calls for it again <laughs> exactly. after the Battle of Gettysburg in 1863. So Hale writes to Lincoln shortly after his summer proclamation, and she also writes to William Seward, then Secretary of State, and she is saying, hey, I hope everything's going all right. I know there's a lot of stuff on your plate right now, but how about, how about we declare a national Thanksgiving the executive branch has the power to make this holiday a permanent American custom. Uh, the exact line she uses is, thus the great Union Festival of America would be established. Lincoln's personal feelings on this immediately after receiving the letter, uh, they may be lost to history, but we know that within just a week of Seward receiving a letter from Hale, 
he had drafted an official proclamation for President Lincoln. And that's where we get this. That's where we get this date, which always seemed a little confusing to me growing up. The final Thursday in November. It's it's something that they thought would help heal the nation, which is weird because Southerners didn't like it before the war. Right. So how are they going to feel after the war? And why were there two yeah, I, Thanksgivings I, in 1863? I've also never been a fan of holidays that are on the something, the something day of the right. month, you know, that's yeah. changed from year to year. I just find it confusing. And that's why I, I swear to God, I thought that uh, I thought that Thanksgiving was just always on November 24th, you know, but I, I'm, I'm obviously a dumb dumb. But at least, you know, Halloween steadfast. We know when that is Christmas. We know when that is Thanksgiving, a little more amorphous. And I guess it makes sense because it kind of came from these amorphous beginnings. Here's a little snippet of this uh, proclamation. Um, I'm just going to do it in, in my own voice. Uh, I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise. Oh, interesting. To our beneficent Father, uh-oh, who dwelleth in the heavens. Wow. Whatever happened to separation of church and state? Wasn't that a thing? Something uh, we're concerned about, Ben? You know how it is. I mean, there's never been an atheist president. That's true. So, uh, it was even controversial for there to be Catholic presidents, right? Our uh, beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens, though? I, I mean, come on. It sounds a little Lovecraftian, honestly. Whenever I hear dwelleth, I think of, I, I don't immediately think of churches. But uh, Yeah, I don't think of that thing, people dwelling in the heavens, by the way. Dwelling is something a giant monster does beneath the sea, That's you know, how, in a cave. Yeah, that's how we associate it, right? He's dead but dreaming. Uh, he'll rise, whatever. So big Cthulhu vibes. So this is pre-Cthulhu mythos, of course. So nobody's sure. getting the Lovecraft vibes yet. Lincoln goes on and he urges the citizens of the country to take the opportunity to, here's more religious language, to commend to capital H his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged. And then he asks for the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation, uh, talks about divine purpose. There's no official, like, hardcore evidence that Hale's letters caused Lincoln to make this proclamation. But the writing's kind of on the wall, right? It, like, sure. This seems like it definitely played a role. And in 1864, he again said, all right, last Thursday in November, you got to get together with people. You got to have some kind of Thanksgiving. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. 
You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Ben, I got a theory. Thanksgiving turkey, you know, at the top of episode one, I talked about how terrifying I think it is. Sure. You know what it looks like? It looks kind of like a Cthulhu. Oh, I'm going to send you something. I have... Uh... This is this is worth it. I'm just going to drop it in the chat here. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but you're about to have a wonderful moment. You're going to pause for a second through the magic of podcasting so I can share this with you. <clears throat> okay. This is happening live, folks. I'm going to I'm going to sp spook Spook Max okay. and okay, oh, there it is. All right, here we go. Oh my god, <laughs> it's Turkathulu. Yes, it's a oh. turkey, a to turkey. Yeah, oh, uh, wow. so yeah, this is what are those freaking octopus boiled eggs? His eyes, yeah, yeah. There, there are a couple different ones here. There's also there's an octopus poured out of the cavity with some crab legs. Coming oh out of the God. sides. and Oh, my God. This is... Okay. Yeah. Well, my theory, Ben, is that H.P. Lovecraft was inspired by the turkey and perhaps this very uh, ominous Thanksgiving proclamation. Yeah. Just well, maybe that's what I'll, I'll bring to the table when we all get together for the holidays. Please, no. Please, God. I'm, <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Except that second one, Ben. The second one, Ben, looks delicious. <laughs> well, maybe it's... I'm down, I'm down to eat Cthulhu. I'm down to try to eat Cthulhu. Okay. Some Elder one? God flesh. Uh, now, the second one, I will say the, the, the cook on the turkey itself is a little more to my liking. Right. The I, I might eat that one. The first one looks almost like the turkey is like raw or something. It's very... Yeah. 
underdone. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that slight diversion aside, uh, we're we're just here to show you that there's been a lot of uh, a lot of progress and innovation in the world of cooking turkey. Maybe not all of it for the best. Still, that was you know the conventional thing that would people would eat on Thanksgiving, and the Thanksgiving of 1864 was heavily militarized. There was a lot of propaganda. It was all about thanking the Union troops. And this also shows us some early evidence of the feast becoming the highlight of the holiday. So it's not just generically giving thanks for something now. It's getting together and eating while you give thanks. So they also threw um, through this big feast for Union veterans in, you know, as part right. of, as part of Thanksgiving. Yeah. This thing called the Union League Club of New York uh, was very focused on making sure that soldiers, uh, whether they are on land or water or abroad, did not go without a Thanksgiving dinner. And it's also, that's, it's, it really has become kind of a, a thing that charities do uh, as well, like in, you know, under uh, underserved communities uh, around the country um, is the idea of passing out Christmas turkeys or Thanksgiving turkeys, you know, like out of trucks. It's a thing you do to kind of earn the goodwill of your community, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's a, you know, this has changed during COVID, but there's a tip that I would like to give people if you have a little free time, um, if you can't make it to your own Thanksgiving for scheduling or for travel costs or something, be aware that a lot of those places, especially if you live in a large city, a lot of those places need help. So if you want to volunteer, you will be welcome. There's a thing that you can also do for community service providers, for firefighters, you know, people working in hospitals, just uh, make make a snack or make some cupcakes and drop it off because they still have to work. You know what I mean? They don't really get holidays off the way a lot of other people do. Again, um, that may have changed during COVID. The requirements may be like something has to be sterilized and prepackaged, but I can guarantee you people appreciate it because they're often mm-hmm. doing thankless jobs. Yeah, and, and back back in the days that we're talking about, the Union League Club of New York got a lot of support from volunteers. They got a lot of support from local restaurants and kitchens that would you know volunteer their their facilities to cook the food. It would be turkey and cranberry sauce and a lot of those other fixings that we've been talking about. Um, I think by now the the chicken pot pie was probably fully gone, which makes me sad because I do love a chicken pot pie. But yeah. Ben, have you ever, have you had fresh cranberry sauce? Yeah, that actually, like you know. I, it's not for everybody, but I will say it is delicious, uh, especially when compared to that awful stuff that slowly slides out of the can and can shape. And I'm not <laughs> a fan of that stuff. And for the longest time, I thought that was the only game in town. And right. so I thought I did not like cranberry sauce. But in fact, I had some really nice artisanal cranberry sauce, and it was quite good. It makes a difference. I don't know. I, I got I to gotta argue with you, Noel. I've had like the, the like fresh ones like a bunch of times, not canberries. The really gross slime ones, those are the best. The kind where, you could, where it still has the shape of the can. It has yeah. the rim. And it oh. and yeah. slowly <laughs> oh, like, yeah. falls out of Sexy. the can. It's so slow. Oh, it's uh, like dog food. I feel you. Oh, it's, it's great. It's kind of like... It's you weird. can have it. You can have it yeah. all, Max. It's, it's weird you. the way that... I will. We have a ridiculous history Thanksgiving together. Yeah. I will have just like multiple cans of it. And I'll eat it right next to Noel, just yeah. straight out of the can. And I'll bring my Cthulhu turkey. Uh, we'll have a big old mm-hmm. time. It's, uh, it's funny, though, because... Because the canonization 
or standardization of what constitutes a Thanksgiving meal kind of reminds me of something that's been on my mind uh, for a few months now, which is the gradual disappearance of McDonald's mascots. They went the way kind of chicken pot pie. When's the last time you saw Grimace or the, or the Hamburglar or Mayor, what's his name? McCheese. Uh, Mayor McCheese. Mayor McCheese. Yeah. yeah. They've, they've, I don't think there are a lot of use them anymore, are they? Uh, they, well, they don't. And Vice has a really great article on the disappearance of Ronald McDonald, which is kind of cryptic, actually. Maybe we can do although, an episode. Although he does still survive in the philanthropic wing of McDonald's, the Ronald McDonald House. Their logo still is a kind of weird gloved clown hand holding hands with a child's hand. That's right. Uh, which is a little sinister, but it's the one place you still see the Ronald McDonald name even thrown around. And the old statues, I guess. They're just, they're not making new commercials. If they do make new commercials, if you're listing McDonald's commercial makers, go back to that very first terrifying old school Ronald McDonald clown. You guys remember that one? Did you ever see that guy? Yeah. Yeah, nightmare fuel. Yes. <laughs> Big red wig, right? Big red kind of fuzzy, frizzy wig. Or am I thinking of... Oh, it's worse. It's so much worse. Hang on. Oh, good Lord. He's got like a cup on his nose? Yeah, yeah, and, and like the blood of children <laughs> smeared across his face. Wow. Yeah, and he had a magic belt, kind of like fanny pack thing. For oh, what, whipping no. children with, presumably? No, to, oh, to generate no. uh, burgers and fries and milkshakes. Oh, this is no. absolute nightmare fuel. We'll check out the video. He's got some kind of box on his head. It looks like a box of... This Donuts is way worse than the turkey. <laughs> I think I've still got some Terrible. Halloween in me, guys. So clearly. Well, I did say from the start that Thanksgiving is a terrifying holiday. I mean, that was uh, my pitch you to have... you guys for us doing this at this time. I'm and, into and it. And we had but, a nice oh. little bridge here because our first episode took place during October. But now this episode is coming out in November. So we're mm -hmm. we're kind of crossing the the calendar uh, calendar stream here We're we're. Making new traditions, right? And that's what <laughs> I'm all about. That. I'm all that's about what that. the uh, that's what uh, the U.S. was trying to do at this time. But despite the success of of beautiful things like the Union League Club's Thanksgiving dinner, people in the South still didn't like the idea of following the Northern model of a Thanksgiving holiday. It wasn't until after the end of the Reconstruction era, that Southern community leaders began to celebrate Thanksgiving in the Northern way because they wanted the South to get back into the national commercial life. That's really what it was. They wanted businesses to come back and invest. And because of this, they felt an incentive to conform, really, is probably the best way to say it. That's right. They they did have to kind of show solidarity in some way or another, right? 
same way that Germans, you know, after the Nazi regime were toppled, had this kind of collective guilt almost. There's even a word for it uh, in German. I believe it's Begangenheitsbewältigung, and it refers specifically to a collective uh, national um, guilt surrounding the Holocaust. So there obviously was a uh, culture of, you know, never forgetting, you know, certain relics became illegal and very heavily um, regulated. I'm not comparing uh, the South at the end of the Civil War to Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying there's a similar kind of, you know, uh, zeitgeisty kind of need to conform and make amends. Yeah, and this conformity is culinary in part. Uh, they have to start making turkey dinners and pumpkin pies, which they regarded uh, largely as a northern thing. The editors of national magazines, again, most national, most of the big magazines were made in the Northeast. They all stepped up and followed Hale's example. That's why if you look at publications like Harper's Bazaar, Godey's Ladies Book, and Good Housekeeping, you'll see so many like recipe ideas for Thanksgiving. And newspapers in the South also had these detailed instructions. Thanksgiving now was no longer... Uh, a thing where you would just get together with your loved ones and, you know, cook whatever you happen to have on hand. Now it was increasingly codified. Thanksgiving equals turkey, which is probably great for the turkey industry. Let's be honest. Thanksgiving no equals doubt. cranberries. Thanksgiving equals pumpkin pies. And here's something that's interesting. Um, we were just talking about our preferences for uh, cranberry sauce. Uh, it turns out that uh, cranberries weren't even a fruit that was cultivated uh, south of New Jersey. Um, it was very much a northern, um, you know, crop. So the fact that Southerners started to include that in their meals showed that kind of solidarity um, and that they were like ready to, you know, kind of buckle down and become part of the union. And again, I know I'm, I was going to take it out, but I'm just going to edit myself ever so slightly. They're we know that there was not some sort of collective guilt or that instantly the South felt bad for what they had done. Uh, That's literally what, you know, led to racism and the uh, long, hard period uh, of reconstruction. Um, And and then, of course, into segregation. So it's not like all of a sudden, oh, we lost. We see the air of our ways. We're going to start doing Thanksgiving and we're going to be good boys and girls. That is not how it went. Um, It was a lot of it was probably pageantry to, you know, just to get things back to normal. But a lot of simmering resentments uh, certainly remained uh, simmering like a like a nice uh, pan of cranberry sauce. Yeah. And if you go forward to the 1880s, you see places like the Augusta Chronicle, which should be familiar to you, Noel, uh, commenting, sure yeah, commenting uh, things like, we dare say most of the Thanksgiving will take the form of gastronomic pleasure. Every person who can afford turkey or procure it will sacrifice the noble American fowl today. Uh, like, this is just an example of how it's odd because it seems so coordinated, right? Every publication of note is saying, don't just give thanks, but specifically eat turkeys and and eat cranberries. And uh, if the Macon Telegraph even said, and if you can afford it, you know, pop open some wine. You know what I mean? Party time. 
tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This became, over this period of the 1880s to about 1890, uh, this became a more and more commonly celebrated holiday and celebrated in an increasingly uniform way. It became so popular, in fact, that the Charlotte News remarked that Thanksgiving as a holiday was second only to Christmas, which I I don't know. What do you guys think about that in the hierarchy of holidays? Uh, It's pretty popular. In terms of like the big family gathering and one that is given a lot of precedent, you know, in workplace situations uh, you know, true. in terms of definitely having to have it off. I would say they're neck and neck. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't say like they got to they got to be like, yeah, Christmas is one. I mean, Arbor Day. I mean, what, what I mean, what would be else be considerational? Independence Day, mm-hmm. New Year's Day, Indigenous Peoples Day. Yes. Uh, you, apparently we still don't call it that in the South. That's a bit of a bummer. Yeah, no, uh, we don't. There's also, let's see, there's Memorial Day, right? Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big uh, one. Labor Day. Labor Day. Uh, Halloween. I'm mostly, just th- I'm, I'm mostly just thinking the days that we get half days here at iHeart. Yeah, you're thinking of the days we get days off. Yes. Uh, and of course, Juneteenth, uh, which I'm happy to mm-hmm. say is, is now a holiday at our company. Anyhow, Thanksgiving becomes very popular. A typical menu for 1890 Thanksgiving would be stuff like oysters, which is cool, roast turkey with cranberry sauce, sweet potatoes, celery, and uh, Irish potatoes. It's just two potatoes. AKA potatoes. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I was thinking that too. (laughs) But that's. I was trying to think what an Irish potato is. Like, how is that any different? 
Well, you know, if you've ever been to like Five Guys Burgers and Fries, they have a board that tells you where their potatoes come from every time, uh, and they're from all over the, the country. But I, when I think of an Irish potato, isn't it just kind of like a russet type potato, like a big spud? It's just to differentiate it, uh, I, I think, uh, from the sweet potato. So there is something cool here. The South starts passing on its own Thanksgiving traditions. Uh, for an explanation of this, we'll turn to William R. Ferris, who is a history professor and senior associate director at the Center for the Study of the American South at UNC. In Ferris's estimation, you can see you can see the Southern touches on the traditional Thanksgiving. Like um, you might have soul food. Cornbread dressing is a big thing. You might have candied yams. Uh, people also might cook their turkeys differently, like fry a turkey. That's pretty cool. Um, or make dressing with with fresh oysters. I've never done I love that. Have you? Oyster dressing. Yep, my mom has. Uh, she's also a big fan of making oyster stew on Christmas morning. Uh, oh yeah, which is some sort of a that. tradition. But yeah, exactly. Um, uh, oyster dressing is fabulous. If you're into oysters, they're not fried. They're kind of chopped, but they just add a little of that umami to it. Uh, I'm a big fan of like you know mushroom dressing, like just different sure. types. Like have give me like three or four different types of dressing. It's the mm. best. All right, I have a weird, completely off-topic story about oysters, but I'm going to throw it in here. Yeah. Uh, when I was out in Seattle, I met up with my buddy, and he had driven up from Portland. I had flown, like, you know, from Atlanta to Seattle. It was, like, 5 p.m. I hadn't eaten. We're like, all right, we're just going to get some food. So we went to this pizza place. Turned out to be really nice, and we were looking at the menu, and we're like, all right, it's got an, like, oyster pizza? Go on. Is wow. this going to be any good? We just ordered it. It was, like, the best thing I've eaten in my entire life. What kind of cheese did it have? I have no earthly idea. I just saw it at oysters and ordered it. And I was like, I asked, I asked my buddy, I'm like, hey, would you be down to split this? And he's like, sure, man, I'll eat something weird with you. I'm super hungry. That's awesome. Yeah, we got to try that. And Max, let us know if you can recall the name of that place. Uh, we'll do. Because I, because my social life is very interesting, I, I find myself just reading menus of restaurants across the world at the weirdest times. Actually, no, I can predict it. It's usually when I should be eating something. You know, I'm like, hmm, what is the best restaurant in Bangladesh? What do they serve on their menu? What would I get there? So the reason I bring up that example is of kind of living vicariously through the idea of, of these foods. And foods are a powerful folk way. Uh, they are a uniter and sometimes a divider. And maybe one of the reasons Thanksgiving became so popular in this country now is because it feels for most people, apolitical, right? You're putting aside differences to have have um, a very traditional meal with each other. And Ferris points out, I think Ferris would agree with us on this, you know? He certainly would. Yeah, he, 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 you know, it certainly was, again, something that none of the three of us had associated with it at all. But it wasn't fully uh, during this um, Civil War period that this step actually happened. It wasn't until 1939 that President Franklin Roosevelt briefly moved Thanksgiving up an entire week in a pretty misguided effort to extend that shopping period before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, and I believe people kind of collectively lost their minds or at the very least just like did not do it. Uh, right. 16 different states said, get out of here with that. Get out of here with your weird calendar shenanigans. And this led Roosevelt to actually reverse his decision two years later. And so in the fall of 1941, U.S. Congress passed a resolution 
returning the holiday to the fourth Thursday of November and making it a permanent thing. So presidents no longer had to issue a new declaration or proclamation every single year. And in this case, uh, we also give a kudos to Sarah Hale because she had chosen the, the very similar date, the last Thursday in November for Thanksgiving, because she thought it would be distraction free. It's after the fall harvest and it's after any um, potential elections. With that, I think the best way to end our story here is to ask ourselves what happened to our Thanksgiving protagonist, our champion of culinary traditions, Sarah Joseph Katherky. Katherky. Yes. All hail. Old school Ronald McDonald. (laughs) Ronald McDonald and Katherky. Oh, man. I don't know why that image makes my day. But yes, those those dudes, but also Sarah Joseph Hale. She went on to, you know, have a really successful career as an actor in a very popular HBO series called Sex in the City. Yeah. Little known fact. Little known fact. No, no, I, I, I obviously kid. Uh, she would, in fact, continue despite, um, you know, having her uh, her whole master plan, her evil holiday master plan uh, successfully enacted. She continued to have a pretty big impact on Thanksgiving moving forward. She also changed the way elementary school kids learned about the whole mythos of the first Thanksgiving, Um, right? Before Sarah's big old campaign for Thanksgiving, that romanticized version that I'm talking about wasn't really a thing. Uh, But in 1865, Sarah described the first Thanksgiving as this kind of you know, a little bit pat, a romanticized meeting between the pilgrims and Native Americans and how it was all, you know, maze and handshakes and hugs. And it got reprinted in a bunch of publications. Yeah. Um, and in around five years, that became the narrative. And though it's yeah. not historically accurate, uh, no. it is what people went with. No, Airbrush doesn't begin to describe it. In fact, uh, studies show the first Thanksgiving was probably uh, a lot more like a political negotiation as opposed to a turkey party. Sarah Hale went on to spend 40 years as the editor of Godey's Ladies Book. Uh, She published her very last column in December of 1877. She was widely known as the mother of Thanksgiving when she passed away in April of 1879 at the age of 90. Yeah, she's kind of a, div- uh, I don't know, that the idea of the story of Thanksgiving that she sort of, you know, popularized, to me is largely the checkered part of her legacy. You know, yeah. I have no problem with the holiday uh, and it being a, a time of thanks. And it is, you know, again, a, a really good way of introducing some 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 culinary, you know, activities into otherwise, you know, maybe homes that wouldn't normally cook. I think that's cool. But, you know, the whole like, and then the Indians welcomed the settlers with open arms and said everything yeah. was all cool. And right. they just ate foods together and totally gave them the thumbs up. You know, that's kind of the vibe. And of continued that version to of that story. through the trail of tears. Everything was yes. fine. Everybody had a turkey break. Everything was great. Yeah, that's unfortunately, as we see, you know, there there was a lot of propaganda involved in in the creation of this as a unifying cultural touchstone. Uh, but Thanksgiving or some version of it is not restricted to the U.S. Uh, we no. we know of a of a wonderful story of a tiny little island, part of Australia, 
hundreds and hundreds of miles away from the mainland, home to less than 2,000 people. It's Norfolk Island, and they love Thanksgiving. Yeah, apparently the island was originally um, populated by um, folks who were descended from uh, some British sailors who actually did a mutiny on the HMS Bounty, and they survived and uh, took several Tahitians captive where they fled to Pitcairn Island in 1790. Uh, and then they obviously, you know, had kids and stuff. And then in 1856, their kids moved to the larger island nearby, uh, Norfolk Island. So it's become kind of a weird combination of Tahitian and, you know, uh, European Thanksgiving kind of celebration. Yeah, so if you happen to be in Norfolk Island, it's the last Wednesday in November, then you can hang out at their Thanksgiving service. So you might ask yourself, hang on, why do these folks almost on the other side of the world celebrate this American holiday? Well, we have the answer thanks to Anne Ubank over at Atlas Obscura. She explains that Norfolk Island has always been kind of a pit stop for people who are traveling by sea. And in 1887, as we're getting to the height of Thanksgiving's acceptance, there's a resident of Norfolk Island, a guy named Isaac Robertson, who becomes the American consul, meaning he's the diplomatic representative of the United States. And so one year, he decided he wanted to celebrate Thanksgiving. So he decorated the pews of the local church with palm leaves and lemons uh, and he just he just made it a thing. He just made it happen. Hey, everybody, check out American culture. And when he passed away, uh, people kept up the holiday with their own That's twist. Amazing. And yeah, yeah. You know, because I was wondering, I said something like sort of offhandedly like, oh, so I guess they were celebrating sort of like a hybrid sort of UK version of Thanksgiving, which isn't really a thing. They do celebrate a Thanksgiving-esque holiday with some of the same trimmings, like with turkey and stuff, but it's more of a fall harvest festival uh, than it than it would be considered Thanksgiving. So this was sort of a, a three times removed uh, Americanized Thanksgiving sort of celebration. It's very interesting. Yeah. And every family in the U.S. tends to have their own sort of traditions for this time of year. For example, you may have a relative who always makes the same casserole every year, and that's like what they're known for, their corn casserole or what have you. You may have traditional side dishes, or you may have a spot you always meet at. Uh, we'd love to hear more about your personal Thanksgiving traditions. And then we'd love to hear your ideas of, or I'd love to hear your ideas of um, if every holiday that we named in the show had like a meal, like if there was, we know there's a Christmas feast, right? People, like people have goose in, in Britain for Christmas sometimes, but what would, what would the meal be for, you know, Memorial Day or Arbor Day or what, what are the other ones we named? Let's for see. Arbor Day, it would be presumably just dried leaves or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or what? Bark. A whole tree. <laughs> <laughs> or the tree eats you because we're respecting the tree, right? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah sacrifice. Wow. Sacrifice, uh, blood sacrifice to, to the trees. I'm into it. We keep going dark yeah, in this totally one. Uh, peek behind the curtains, folks. We are recording this just a few days before Halloween. Maybe that's it. You guys got any costume ideas, by the way? I have decided to be a middle-aged white man. 
Yeah, I've decided to be a just slightly younger than Noel middle-aged white man. Oh, you guys are doing a couple's costume. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, it's going to work great. So uh, what what a wild ride. This is, I don't know about you guys, but this has definitely uh, made me hungry, uh, which means that instead of actually eating, I'm probably going to read menus from other countries. Well, I ordered too much Chinese food for lunch, so I am going to do what for many is also a Thanksgiving tradition and eat a ton of Chinese food. Right, right. And with that, we give thanks. That's that's sort of a tradition of our show. We're sort of a very thanks-forward show, if you think about it. We end every episode with uh, pouring our hearts out in thanksgiving to all those who've made this show possible, including Max Williams, super producer extraordinaire, Mm -hmm. Alex Williams, who composed our theme, Gabe Luzier, the king of thanksgiving, the great pumpkin, Gabe Luzier. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our number one uh, turkey, Jonathan Exactly. Our number one uh, Terthuckin. Now that sounds weird. To, how, what did you call it, Ben? A Catherky. A Catherky. Got it. That's definitely a Strickland kind of vibe. Who else? Uh, let's see. We've also got Christopher Hasiotis, oh, Eve Jeffcoat, Eve's Jeffcoat, and also uh, big thanks to our dear friend Casey Pegram. A big thanks to everybody for tuning into the show. If you want to drop us a review on Apple somewhere, we would we would greatly appreciate that. That does make a difference. But uh, as as Noel said, uh, we are immensely thankful for all of our ridiculous historians tuning in. And I want to thank this life-size plastic skeleton I live with now, Scully. Um, and thanks for making this such a Halloween-y episode too, guys. I'm so excited. I was surprised we kept going dark with it. Anything to extend the greatest holiday of the year. Uh, though I do, I do like a good, a good, a good turkey leg. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge. Io. Visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, Smaller Ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com.